0: Hi, I'm Ian And
1: I'm Chef James Regato.
0: And in this episode of Essential Cooking, James and I talk with Ken Nagao, the managing partner at Shiraku, a Japanese restaurant in West Bloomfield. Shiraku is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, thanks to its commitment to staying true to traditional Japanese cuisine. We talk about making it through the 2008 recession, what goes into making perfect sushi, and the importance of simplicity in Japanese cuisine.
1: We're here today with uh, Ken Nagao from Shiraku in West Bloomfield. And Shiraku, if you have ever followed me on social media, I talk about it, I think, once a week. <laughs> um, but it's easily my favorite restaurant in the state of Michigan. Um, and Ken just told me that they're almost at 25 years in business now, which is crazy to think about, because I feel like I've only been eating there for maybe 10. <laughs> so you know, and I, thought, yeah, I thought I was a long-running customer. I'm not. You know, there's um, 25 years in the business. But, um, but Ken... Uh, you know, Ann and I obviously know a lot about Shiraku, but mm-hmm. so is, what was, what were you doing before Shiraku? Because 25 years is a big part of your career. So, mm-hmm. It was, uh, before I was uh, not, well, I went to uh,
2: Michigan State University um, and- What did you study? Hotel and restaurant. In <laughs> ah, okay. <in> <laughs> but uh, that's where I started off. But uh, actually, I had a professional career playing uh, soccer for a little bit and I was over in Europe training and stuff like that, so- um, wasn't in the business. My father was in the business, um, in Novi, a little bit different, but he was in the business.
0: What kind of restaurant did he that have? Was, uh,
2: he didn't have a, well, he sort of had a restaurant. It was a hotel. Oh, okay. uh, It was called the Hotel Baronet. It's still there. Um, mm-hmm. it's owned by somebody else It's called Renaissance, Yeah. I believe now. Mm-hmm. Um, different restaurant in there and everything. Um, but, um, that hotel was built back in the nineties, early nineties as a, uh, business hotel for businessmen that come over from japan so it had the deep uh you know tubs like they do in japan and you know so it was doing really well but uh japanese economy went down and you know so he got rid of that business but i was a dishwasher there I was, then i went and started helping in the kitchen is that your first uh, yeah that was my first job yep 13 years old you know i get a job with my dad you know and never seen so many plates in my life but yeah you know it was uh kind of got to like it started helping out in the kitchen a little bit and uh Kind of learned a little bit there. What was the food like, Ken? The food at the Baronet was uh, like a French-Japanese fusion. And in the back of the, it was a high-end, you know, five-star restaurant, mm-hmm. but it was called Terra. And then in the back of the restaurant, for lunch only, he had uh, Japanese lunches for the businessmen that, ah. you know, were right in the Novi area. So there was a little Japanese restaurant, too. The head chef was from Japan, a real uh, top-notch chef chef. Um, He's worked in a lot of the high-end uh, restaurants in Japan, so he was Japanese, and so, you know, we had a little Japanese clientele thing going there, too, and then I had a nice bar, so I was kind of more interested in the bar business, yeah. but, you know, I couldn't touch alcohol until 18, yeah. so I did that, you know, during college of uh, bartending and stuff like that. Lo- loved the business, um, but I actually got into uh, o- automotive business for just a little bit, and...
0: Uh, How did that happen?
2: You know, just like... I. Always like cars. My family's related to a lot of, uh, like, auto industry people, so I still like cars. So I thought it'd be cool to be in the auto industry until, you know, it's not really fun, you know, looking at brake discs every day, you know. (laughs) know, At first, you know, it's like uh, serving your first dish. You know know what? I may have uh, had a hand in putting that brake in that car or something like that, but (laughs) after, you know, five million cars, you know, go by, you know, it's it's just... uh, it wasn't something I really wanted to do, and it turned out um, I got uh, offered, Shiraka was just opening, so I wasn't a partner back then, and uh, I was hired in to train the staff because I, I, was, uh, I had experience at the hotel and stuff like that. I'm a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, really well-known um, d's, You d's know, helped us open the restaurant and taught us a lot of stuff, so I was there to train the staff and help them out.
1: What year is this? So how
2: long was Shurco open? This was 1998, I would say. So Shurco uh, was
1: like pretty new.
2: Yeah, it was, this we're right as we were open.
1: So who so. and who owned it then?
2: So originally there were three, uh, one, two, three partners, and uh, only one of them is still. He is, his name is Mister Suzuki. He's uh, the majority owner. Okay. Still. So he's my partner. I'm the managing partner right now. Um, there are two others. Um, who left, one left very early, um, another one left probably within six, seven years, and then after that is when I came into the business at Shiraku, and uh, before that, so they hired, they asked me if I wanted to come in as a manager, I was, I was like, well, you pay me 1.5 times what they you know, the automotive yeah. is paying <laughs> me, I'll, I'll actually consider it, and then uh, they ma- actually made me an offer, gave me a manager, then the general manager, and uh, so now I'm a part owner and um, a partner there as a managing partner. So I'm on the business side and in the kitchen, you know, but.
1: Uh, did you expect at that time 98, did you expect 2022, yeah. you'd, you'd still be doing <laughs> nah. that job? No, <laughs> not, I did not
2: think I would be in the same spot doing yeah. something, you know, but, you know, it's it's been uh, quite a journey yeah. and, uh, you know, it's so weird how it, it seems like every seven years, Something major happens in the world. Oh, I know. And you know it started out with you know, well one of them was you know nine one one of course. And when that happened, all air traffic stopped. Everything stopped. Basically, the country stopped. So that was a real tough time in you know restaurant history here. And then right after that, right around seven years after that, you know, recession. Yep. And then we had the recession. You know the all that and that was killing the auto industry in Detroit. So. Detroit, everybody knows that, you know, everything went down in Detroit. That was probably the toughest from 2008 to 2014 was the toughest, probably six years. Did you
0: think you you would ever have to close during those times? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, packing up didn't sound so bad, you know, (laughs) at that time sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, the the regulars that we um, gained over the first, you know, 10 years, those are the people that still fill our seats, you know, to this day. You know, you walk in on a Friday, I mean, half my restaurant is people that we've known for over 10 years, yeah. Wow! you know? And so that's what's kind of keeping us and we keep it in, it's, we're still a small niche kind of a market. We try not to veer from traditional too much. So we stay in the traditional lane. And when, you know, fusion and everything caught on fire and sushi became really flashy, you know, we were the ones that kind of stayed traditional. And now, you know, with this is just my perspective of, especially with covid and everybody watching a lot more tv <laughs> a lot more social media you know it, it seems like people understand more about food and is learning about food and are becoming wanting to know what the real traditional stuff is yeah so that's fair. you know it's it's been really good to us that way.
0: Is it it's, gratifying to, to see people more interested in what you've done this whole time instead it of... It is,
2: it is. And, you know, we've had a lot of fun with it too sometimes, you know, but, um, you know, people come in and say, you know, where's your Las Vegas roll? <laughs> I'm like, I, don't I've been doing is? this for yeah, 20 years. I don't even know what's in the Las Vegas roll. And I really don't want to know, you know, people come in and say, you know, we want the fried sushi where it's fried on the outside. I'm like, if we fried our sushi, I swear you know, like the people ahead of us who taught us anything <laughs> would just flip in their graves. Yeah. So we can't do it. We can't do it. And, you know, we've had fun with it, but
1: I mean, but you know, to me, one thing that I that I always freak out at Terakko mm-hmm. about is like the temperature of the rice, mm-hmm. the temperature of the fish, the amount of you know the seasoning, mm-hmm. like the layers. It's so. I mean, I'm sure for you guys doing it, twenty. You know, you have mm-hmm. your secrets, you have your mm-hmm. routines. It's some of it's probably just like so ingrained in what you guys do there but when you compare other restaurants and how many yeah how many shortcuts how many fusion how many tricks how many cheats Mm -hmm. you know you just like your lunch ramen Mm -hmm. nights i go eat Mm -hmm. lunch ramen all the time and like i feel like there's every time i try something new i'm always like oh my god that's that's as good as everything Mm -hmm. else i've had yeah and everyone always asks me because i'm like oh you should go to shraku and like what should i get i'm like Anything. <laughs> and, then, and people, you know, people, Michiganders especially hate that answer. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, what's yeah. their like dish? Mm-hmm. What's their, what sushi should I get? I'm like whatever fish you mm-hmm. like. Yeah. You know, like, exactly. and I, I always get just mm-hmm. the egg. What is that? What is the egg? The Oh, the, the sushi egg? Yeah. yeah what is that, that called? That is a tamago. Tamago, and
2: tamago is just directly egg, but uh, the sushi egg is the most important thing for yeah. a sushi restaurant. Right. Like the real snobby sushi eaters in Japan that only go <laughs> to sushi restaurants, sit at the counter and, you know, order piece by piece. These guys, the... They, you know, this is the older generation still to this day, though, um, usually the first thing they will eat is a sushi egg. First, to make sure that's homemade, you know, that means that there's somebody skilled enough to make it.
0: You know, Ken, can you describe it for <laughs> so, people yeah, that have never had it? Making
2: those uh, sushi eggs, it's actually made in a frying pan that is um, copper-based almost. Um, and it's the hardest thing is that it's square. It's not round. And, you know, you being a chef, um, James, you would definitely know, you know, if it's round, you got a little wiggle room to bring things back to shape. But in this, it's it's folded over 15 times um, in a frying pan and you just keep folding and folding it. And um, the trick is to keep it square. Yeah. And then when it's done, it's about a nine inch block by two inch height you know, block of egg. And that's what you're eating a sushi egg. So, you know, everybody looks at it like, oh, it's just an omelet, basically. Like, well, yeah, but I mean, the flavoring and the way that it's uh, made, the temperature has to be perfect where the inside is not completely cooked mm. when it's done, but the egg's temperature is what finishes off the cooking to yeah. keep it the soft texture that you like, of course. And what is it seasoned with? It is actually seasoned with um, dashi, which is uh, the basic Japanese soup stock, um, which is a fish stock. So there's dashi in there. There's a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of sugar for the sweetness, and that's basically all it is. And, and who, you know, a little bit of salt.
1: Who's apart. making? Who makes the egg? So the both rest. of the both of the sushi
2: chefs uh, make the egg, um, but we have a uh, chef Lim who um, makes it on a regular basis right now. Um, Suzuki does other stuff, and you know, so they kind of split. But that sounds right like now, a
0: rite of passage. Yeah, it really like, is. Oh yeah, that, for sure. to, to make that, that
2: and the rice. You know. Ri- oh, talk about the rice. That's the most important part of.
0: I think people know. people want not realize that the the temperature of the rice. Mm-hmm. If you have proper oh, yeah. sushi, you is can, a big you know. deal. It's not supposed to be cold. No, well, it and, cannot.
1: And like I'll, I'll I'll be honest. Like I said, sushi rice is probably one of the least cooked things of my career mm-hmm. because i have never satisfied with it when I make it Uh and I I, I can obviously like make it to where I think that like you'd be like, this is nice, but I, I understand how much energy goes into proper sushi rice. Mm -hmm. And when when I travel and eat in a lot of, you know, kind of modern Mm -hmm. fusion sushi restaurants, that's always my biggest complaint. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't enjoy the rice. It gets
2: a little too sweet. It gets a little too vinegary, gets a little too acidic. So, and then, you know, the rice isn't cooked exactly like white rice that Mm -hmm. you eat, you know, at your table. With, as a side, you know, the sushi rice is cooked a little bit harder. And then it the way that they, cu- we call call it cutting the rice, which is you take the cooked rice and then in an open, a uh, big, I don't know what to call it, a big pan, basically. Um, the mixture of the vinegar and um, the sweeteners and everything go into it. And we take a really big uh, basic paddle and we cut it as we, we are cooling it. And to bring it down to the perfect uh, temperature and flavor. And, and any extra vinegar, any extra sugar, any extra anything just changes that. So each sushi restaurant has their, you know, their recipe for formula for it. For it. Yeah.
0: Um, Ken, what is the difference between sushi, sushi rice and other rices? It's different.
2: Well, it's, um, is it starchier or? It is. It's what everybody calls sticky rice. Mm-hmm. And it's the rice that's served in Japanese restaurants. And it's the same rice. Um, it's a short grain rice you know so it's not the long grain uh the chinese right. have the long grain more drier rice and then you know india has the jasmine rice and thai uses that too so it's a longer grain um it's a medium to short uh short grain rice is what's used and it's more of the water content and the mm. um texture of it so that's the big difference in it and um you know it's it's really like japanese food all comes back to how sim- simple it is and that's what everybody, you know, kind of tries to imitate by adding things. Simplicity <laughs> is actually taking things away to make yeah. it, you know, so that so that's the big, I guess, secret behind, especially being sushi. You know, everybody's like, well, sushi's just, you know, cutting raw fish. Okay, but, you know, it's got to be cut at the right temperature. It's got to be taken down at the right temperature. It's got to be stored at the right temperature. You know, it's got to be cut in the exact thickness. Sushi rice has to be, you know, 15 grams at the sushi bar, 18 when it goes to the table, you know, it's just for filling purposes and stuff like that. So, you know, the su- sushi rice, I can't tell you the exact grams on it. You can ask the chefs when you talk to them <laughs> next time, James. But they don't even know how many grams it is. You know, yeah, it's by hand. So they've been doing it so long. But, yeah. uh, but the sushi um, rice tends to be smaller when you're mm-hmm. sitting at the sushi bar and being served. Because people there want to eat more of a variety. And the people that are sitting at the table want more of a filler. Mm. And the rice is squeezed differently for the table and the sushi bar. Because the sushi bar, you know that it's going to be very quickly. As soon as it's put down, it's eaten. So it has to fall in the mouth and break up. But when you're serving at a table, you don't want it to be broken up when the people are looking at it. So you squeeze a little harder. You know, oh. So there's differences even in these little techniques. And, now is, it?
1: Is it, and this is – no like mm-hmm. your team knows this. Oh, yeah. My server knows mm-hmm. this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah that's, that's such a cool – layer that I would never pick up on as a, you yeah. know, as, as a patron.
0: Well, mm-hmm. it's like the next time, like when mm-hmm. we go to your restaurant, you'll look at th- the pieces of sushi and really start mm-hmm. to be mindful of all the history that goes mm-hmm. into making it so beautiful. Yeah, Everything that mm-hmm. your chefs have to mm-hmm. know to make this so perfect in its simplicity, but perfection. Really,
2: you know, Japanese don't use a lot of spices, you know, like uh, other Asian um, cultures do. So, you know, it's basically the fish broth, soy sauce, you know, medium, which is a sweet cooking wine, you know, or sugar. And that's the basics right there. And then miso, of course, you know, mm-hmm. which is soybean paste. So, I mean, that is the basics to make Japanese food. We don't add, you know, like, you know, like a oregano into it or, you know, we don't have these spices that we use too much and we keep it pretty simple and Japanese food is almost sometimes supposed to be bland when you first taste it, so that by the time you get to the end of it and you're done eating the whole dish, it you know, you get the flavors and everything kinda comes together by the end. Instead of, you know, by the middle of it, you're already sick of eating the same thing because the flavor's too strong and you, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, so That's a good point. it's a different kind of, you know, way that everything is cooked and
1: Well, I think like the magic of shiraku for me, you know, is like for one, there's so many there's so many things I learn every time I go there. I mean, you'll bring me like the last time you, it was the hot sake with the uh, fugu, oh yeah the fugu, blowfish fugu. fin in it yeah the yeah. Fu- you know, yep. the, fu- the blowfish <laughs> fugu. I mean, the fugu is like the poisonous blowfish which <laughs> yep. you know it's very you know there's like plenty of folklore around it oh for sure that was such like a unique touch mm-hmm. you know the, and then like I said I learned so much I mean sake every time I go I learn something about sake mm-hmm. from you. Um, so I, as a student of food, I love going to a place where I'm constantly peeling back layers mm-hmm. and to eat somewhere for 10 years. You know, you never get sick of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the om- and i honestly, every now and then I'll go, like I mm-hmm. said, I'll go for lunch, get the ramen, mm-hmm. and I'll go for dinner. I, and I love going alone and sitting mm-hmm. at the bar and getting the omakase. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, I'll get your you know, your sushi mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. And remind me, and Annal mm-hmm. this out. The, the, mm-hmm. the Korean gentleman, like okay, uh, Lim, team, Mr. Lim. What's his yes. full name? What's his first name? Bongsa. Bongsa. <laughs> Yes, Bonsap. So, uh, so Bonsap will come in. Uh, I'll go in, and Bonsap will give me the – he almost mm-hmm. always does my omakase. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's mm-hmm. always been him. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And the first time I had fermented soybeans, which was a mm-hmm. which was a texture, mm-hmm. m- you know, like mind wash. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. And people, like, people ask me, well, what's, what's the craziest thing you've ever eaten? And I'm always like – I hate to say it, but I think fermented soybeans are <laughs> one of the more challenging things I've ever <laughs> eaten. Yeah. And I did not like mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But it's just like the Japanese – Te- mm-hmm. like texture relationship mm-hmm. with food is so interesting sometimes because mm-hmm. like the you know the, like the gum bean paste and like the, you know there's so many things that will surprise you mm-hmm. with texture but the fermented soybeans are probably like the one of the crazier things I've ever eaten at yeah. Shraku. you know because
2: uh when it's fermented of course you know you're gonna have that real stringy you know yeah. texture to it and the stringier and gooier I guess isn't better way to put it yeah it is the healthier it is we say sometimes so we we do the fermented soybeans next to uh like uh, Okra, like sliced okra, and you mix it up. The more you mix okra, you know, the thicker yeah, it gets, right? Goods. But that's that's the part that's supposed to be good for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not going to say it as a dietitian or anything <laughs> like that. I'm not, but it's just always been said in Japan, you know. So, but those,
1: and- but those like textures mm-hmm. in America are so. It, it is. T- I mean, I don't want to say taboo, but like you just don't yeah. see them. Like I could never get away with serving that uh-huh. restaurant. People would like they they would like you know track me down outside, you know. But but. I I love learning new things and tasting new things. And I mean that omakase experience. I mean to me, and I do a tasting. I do an eight course tasting mm-hmm. menu at my restaurant, mm-hmm. and I would like. I'm like, no, that to me is a tasting experience because mm-hmm. you're, you know, your 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 relationship with the sushi chef, mm-hmm. building each course, how to right. eat it, when to use soy, mm-hmm. when to not, and mm-hmm. it's uh it's an absolute lesson in in it history is. and cuisine. Uh-huh. Every it's time. so
2: much fun to you know come up with those menus, and you know, the sushi chefs right where they're standing, you'll see the. You know, the fish that we have on, on the day right on top in the display cases, any sushi restaurant has it. Um, but the interesting stuff is always below that. Of course. Okay, so, <laughs> so the yeah. trick is, you know, we always have something different, you know, to you know to keep it, you know, for people that come in so much for us, you know, mm-hmm. to keep it interesting. You know, something that we can't make, you know, and throw on the menu right. and make it mass production, but we could do this. Or, you know, that's why the omakase, like you said, is so fun. I mean, it's basically one-on-one with the chef. And, you know, you're just kind of, you're trusting them to not overcharge you, one, of course. You know, <laughs> two, you're trusting him that everything's going to be out of one good, you know. And then, you know, the chef trusts that you understand, you know, that this is, you know, this course has been prepared, you know, in this way because of the way that they want you to enjoy something. So there's a trust factor in there. So, you know, that word, it's funny that you mention omakase. So omakase has been so overly used yeah, it has. everywhere and on menus and stuff like that. And, you know, so omakase in Japanese just means leave it up to you. Right. So people, um, ha- keep coming in and saying, we want omakase, we want omakase. Well, omakase is for the people that really don't tell us, you know, you can't sit at bar and say, I want omakase, but, uh, I won't eat sea urchin. I won't yeah, exactly. eat this. Say omakase. No, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a difference between the word omakase and okonomi in a sushi restaurant. So, oh.
0: <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I, it, this is such an education. It's like, okay, you can't be throwing around these words mm-hmm. and not like knowing exactly what you're talking about.
2: Exactly. And, what uh, is, so, okonomi. Ok- 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 so, okonomi means my preference. So that is the old school Japanese sushi way of uh, sitting at sushi bar to go eat sushi, right? And if you watch some of the um, older regulars that come into our restaurant, the Japanese guys, you know, they want it okonomi. So what okonomi means is you're ordering to the sushi chef, I want uh, two pieces of tuna. It comes right to your plate in front of you. You have it, you know, have a few drinks or whatever. And then you ask for the next one, you know, can I get a, some kind of whitefish, the best white fish of the day. So when, you're, when the customer's picking and choosing, okonomi means my preference. Gotcha. So, so you're calling it out. So you guys will do that? Well, that is a – that is, definitely will.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's a, does
0: yeah. that happen very often?
2: It does among more of the Japanese. Japanese um, customers, um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, sushi traditionally, that's how it was at the sushi bar. So su- um, really popular sushi restaurants in Japan, uh, the old school ones, only have a counter, basically, just the front end, you know, where you sit at the sushi bar – And there's maybe three sushi chefs there, you know, 10 seats. Everybody has like three to four customers. And it's just one piece by piece okonomi or omakase, whichever, right? And some places will just do omakase, you know, and whatever. But a lot of people are using that word to mean more of a course dinner. So a course dinner is actually called kaiseki, a really high-end traditional Japanese um, course dinner, which we do. Um, So if you had six people and you wanted to come in, and it's like an eight-course meal that you, yeah. you would do at your restaurant, it's, um, it's the same thing. It's at a table. Yep, mm-hmm. It's at a table. Kais- and we call it kaisiki? Kaisiki, Yep. where each person is going to get one plate. So it, usually the course will start as, one would be the zensai, which we directly translate like an um, appetizer, but the first course is what they call it. And then from there, it would go to sashimi. You'll get a platter of sashimi, an assortment, best of the day, go to... Um, maybe uh, we'll go to grilled and we'll get you something grilled and then we'll go to steamed then we'll go to fried then in between we'll have like a vinegar based and then uh, maybe one other dish that you know whatever and we'll go into the sushi and it won't be like a full platter of sushi like five pieces and like a p- two piece of a roll traditional and then you know finish it up with the miso soup on the side you know so that's a traditional Kaiseki course for a sushi restaurant. Let's
1: go, man. So, yeah, yeah, This was a really I'm bad, so this was really a
2: bad interview. For me to do. I did not eat today. Oh <laughs> so people are kind of, you know, looking for that in a yeah. restaurant. We don't have, we do have it, but it takes a lot of prep. Um, we you have look- to first get the plates out. But it's not sure. the same plates. You know, the plates that we use for Kaiseki are completely different. It's for pre- presentation purposes, because the only thing that's non-edible that we use is the plates. So, in that sense, that plate has to be free and it has to fit the yeah. food. So, we, we, you know, we had to go get the plates. You know, we don't have them sitting in the restaurant, so right. we had to go get the plates. You know, we had to make a. you know, we had to order stuff that might take a week to come in. Yeah. You know, so we always ask for a one-week notice up, to yeah. do it, and, you know, you can do it. And
1: Now, do you do this for, like, full buyouts, though? Like, let's say it has, like, a 50 top? Or a 50 uh-huh. top? No, we,
2: can, we do max. The max that we do, we actually ask that the max be 8 Eight people. Eight people. What if I said One I want people. the whole
1: restaurant? The whole
2: restaurant, it, we would have to do something different. I mm-hmm. wouldn't even have all those plates anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> no, but uh, kaiseki is a very, very, um, each dish to prepare it takes so much longer than a traditional restaurant. Um, of course. You know. Uh, I'm just saying, like have, so. you're in my mm-hmm. head now, like mm-hmm.
1: ki- so. Like to me, kaiseki. Like, I don't care what it, I'm gonna like. I'm gonna rally the troops. and We're <laughs> gonna do a kaiseki buy on it. And you, could, I it. think
2: you would uh, enjoy the kaiseki more if it was more of a smaller group because yeah. it'll be more veered towards the food instead of you know if you're having That's a like, bunch of friends or something. A party, yep, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get a party. You know, you're not kind of concentrating on the food. You know, the people that really do a kaiseki like. It are people like you who yeah. are you know really into food and like the food mm-hmm. and enjoy it's the food? It's more focused, so, a little yes. quieter. Yeah. Yep. That's, so you know, that's fair. everybody is like, oh, what is what is that? You, yeah. know? And then, <laughs> you know, and so that type of stuff. And then we'll match it with um, sakis for you. You know,
1: um, Boy, usually that cold awesome. sakis.
2: So yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: As newsrooms across the country close their doors, independent and unbiased journalism is more crucial than ever. We rely on you just like you rely on us. This spring fundraiser, join us in protecting public media. Your support keeps us thriving. Invest in WDET's next chapter at WDET.org or tap Donate in our mobile app. Ken, yes. what um, when you go to Japan? How mm-hmm. often do you go back I to go, Japan? You know,
2: as much as I can. I haven't been there three years, four mm-hmm. years now. But, yeah, you know, and once a year is what I shoot for. Yeah, I don't get it. Well, very were, often. were
1: you born in Japan?
2: I was born in Los Angeles. Okay, originally, yeah, but my your father's parents, from Japan. Yep, my my mom, yeah, yeah. my dad, my, both my parents are from Japan, um, Yokohama, uh, and my mom is from Fukushima. So, mm-hmm. um,
0: yeah. Can what is American food like over there? And okay, is there a there? Huh. There must be a big interest in American food. I would yeah. think over they, in Japan. What is it like so to eat American food in Japan?
2: In uh, in Japan, American food is very popular. It really is. I mean, you wouldn't believe the pizzas I have over there. Okay? Really? it's it's insane. I mean, it's it's not like your traditional pizza here. I mean, they have like I don't know, seafood, different kind of pizzas, curry pizzas. You know, Japanese are known not to invent things, but to make things better sometimes, I guess. That's true. <laughs> I don't know, so en- true. Engineering, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so food engineering. But, uh, but, you know, all that put aside, you know, in Japan, um, one of the most popular places with a line out the door every night of the weekend in Doppongi, Tokyo, which is like one of the hippest, like, cities around the world. It would be, definitely be in the top 10, right? The one restaurant... It's TGI Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to tell you, but it's TGI Fridays. Really? That's amazing. <laughs> so and the kids, feel, like right now, right now. Oh, yeah. Right, like right, oh, yeah, right yeah. now, you go into Ropongia and you go to the main street right there. There is a line out the door at TGI Fridays, and people are paying about 80 bucks a person. Now, why? Because like, everything's expensive. But I mean, but is it like the ambiance? It? It's the, it's the yeah, ambiance, yeah. the coolness of it, right? And, uh, you know, like, like America, right? So yeah. they're kind mm-hmm. of a little experience like that. And, uh, and their uniforms are the exact same as here. Actually, they're probably is the menu clean. pretty
0: much the same. The they're...
2: menu is, um, is pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, you know, the Jack Daniels sauces and stuff like <laughs> that, and everything and whatnot. But it's crazy that it tastes so much better.
1: <laughs> That's um, not crazy. Because the sourcing is <laughs> yeah, probably crazy. so much yeah, better. That's
2: crazy. Uh, like, we're, Japan is known to have uh, the best Kentucky fried chicken in the world. So their chicken, their fried chicken, is better than the original Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm-hmm. That's what they say. I'm, I don't want somebody to get on me for that <laughs> one, but uh, no. I
0: mean, I think that's fascinating but because sourcing, it, it's got to be sourced know? from the and, from and, uh, Japan.
2: And McDonald's and j- it just tastes different. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, I think it's all because of sis- everything is systematic when it comes to rest- big restaurants like that. And so there aren't you won't see a burger joint that. You know, somebody just decided to make a hamburger joint. It's going to be some big box store coming in to do it because of the sourcing, like you're saying, is so difficult for a lot of the stuff. It's just not stuff that you get, you know, in Japan. You can't be using, you know, Wagyu to make, you know, hamburgers and charging them a $100 for a hamburger, Mm -hmm. you know. But like, you know, Hard Rock Cafe did it. TGI Fridays did it. You know, they got McDonald's, Burger King, Arby's was even out in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so it's, that's it's crazy. crazy. So, but so, it's uh, very popular. It so,
0: Ken, <laughs> when you do you eat at the restaurant most of the time, or do you like to go check out a bunch of different places? How much? So, uh, how much is Japanese food a part of your?
2: Japanese food is about ninety percent of my 90%? diet. Ninety percent. Um, <laughs>
0: if I had your restaurant, that
2: yeah. would be the same. I wish
1: that but, was the, the case for me. But it's yeah. more on uh,
2: not because of uh, w- what I do right now, mm-hmm. you know, but it's more um, how I was brought up. Um, so I was born in LA, so everything we were, my mom and dad, their thing, their thing was in the house, you're always going to speak Japanese. Once you go outside, you know, when you're a kid, you're going to pick up English with, I went to all Japanese school, so never went to an American school in California, but they didn't want me to forget Japanese. So I went to all Japanese school and spoke Japanese. Hence the culture in the house was completely Japan. So the food, food is one of the biggest cultures in Japan. And when you say Japanese culture, you know, food is the first thing that comes to mind for people, you know. So I, I was brought up on Japanese food. So like if I don't eat this is gonna sound very stereotypical, but if I don't eat a bowl of rice in a day, it's it's not gonna be a good day for me, you know, <laughs> type of thing. So right. you know, I love pasta, I love, you know, bread, I like sandwiches and stuff like that. But there's gonna be a Japanese meal somewhere in there, you know, and that's just how it is. What and, what is Japanese breakfast? So, Japanese breakfast, um, there is the traditional same, like American, you know, like with the egg, you know, and bread, and so we call that the Western, you know, breakfast, but a traditional Japanese breakfast is rice, you know, a little bit of pickles, maybe a grilled fish, the fermented soybeans, and, you know, miso soup is a traditional Japanese breakfast. That sounds breakfast. great. Well, I
1: breakfast right now. <laughs> And it's
2: crazy that uh, the baronet, when my dad had it, the... That was part of uh, the breakfast. The Japanese breakfast was included in every room, you know, if you request it. So that became a big thing now, Uh, like Hampton Inn, these big places that have a lot of, uh, you know, Japanese auto people as their clients, they have Japanese breakfasts, you know, in in a Michigan hotel, you know, like a... Yeah, it, see, know, it, so. see,
1: it seems kind of almost, it mm-hmm. seems like random, but I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I Why remember that? growing mm-hmm. up, my dad had a business mm-hmm. in Novi and I would spend, I remember like, as a kid loved Cherry Blossom and like, mm-hmm. there were so many Japanese restaurants and, mm-hmm. and influences mm-hmm. in Novi. Mm-hmm. And so is that still the case? Like, is, do you still have a lot of your business, people mm-hmm. located in, in
2: so Novi? So Novi is the center of the Japanese community here in Michigan. And it's one of the, it's the third... So they measure this by the Japanese school, you know, the Saturday school that the kids go to. Um, Michigan has the, either, at one point it was the biggest single Japanese school in the United States. But I think it's like third right now, including L.A. and New York and all these. So the Japanese auto is here in Detroit. You know, it's, it's kind of changing a little bit, but um, Nova is the center Um, the city of Novi has been really good to the Japanese community. Um, They've offered uh, space for the Japanese business society to, well, not the business society, the Japanese schools, you know, to be in Novi. And they uh, use the campus at Novi High and stuff like that. um, Japanese festivals over there. So the city has been very cooperative and helpful to the Japanese community. So a lot of the businesses are in Mm Novi and it's a population of about only Mm 10,000. It um, seems like a lot, but compared to, like, the Korean community um, or the Chinese community, you know, the other Asian communities, you know, Indian communities, it's very small. And the difference, too, with, I'm not sure with the other communities, but the Japanese community, out of that 10,000, probably 90% are people that are going straight back to Japan after their visas expire. expired. There aren't that many green card holders slash, you know, permanent residents or, you know, we're starting to get the we're born here kind of you know, just like L.A. was like 30 years ago. L.A. started out with the automotive industry as well. You know, with Nissan, Toyota, and all those companies having headquarters there. So that Japanese auto automotive is what made L.A. And then from there moved to Detroit because they wanted to do business with the big three. So that's how we ended up here, actually. My dad was in ah. automotive from L.A. and moved over here. Yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's just like that. Now it's moving a little south too, like Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, where... Um, they have a lot of uh, you know plants down there and stuff like that. So, But it's still a pretty big community.
0: You know? So, Ken, one final question. I, mean, I guess we could talk to you all day. And, uh, actually, I, actually, next time I talk to you, I want to be at your restaurant <laughs> 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 while, while I'm talking to you. But um, your favorite, like, you know, if somebody mm-hmm. says, oh, what's their favorite thing to eat? Like your go-to mm-hmm. meal, your comfort meal. What is that for you?
2: So, let's see. Funny thing is, it's not sushi. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: what? You see enough you know, sushi, you know. So, uh, my comfort meal would probably be—I'm going to have to say ramen noodles, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. traditional ramen noodles. Yeah, so, same. yeah, in my in my house, like before I came here today, I had ramen noodles.
1: Well, what, okay, but, but like, are you who's making these ramen for? You? I am. So you're making the ramen yeah. at home, and mm-hmm. are you making the own your own broth? Yep. And do you do like a show you like a soy broth? So it's,
2: uh, it depends on my fiance. Uh, whatever she says goes. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the cool thing about ramen, you know, it's a big thing right now and whatnot. But it's, it is one of the hardest things to actually have a restaurant doing. It's very low cost, you know, in terms of selling and everything. And it's all about, you know, how many you can sell and how popular you are. So to do it right, they have, you know, the, the broth is made from, you know, all the pork uh, stock and everything like that, or, you know, fish stock or whatever stock you decide to use, but that's the base of ramen noodles. So to serve so many people, the broth is just, you know, that is the point that you have to be right on, you know. And then you could basically top it with anything you want. There are the basics, but, you know, you could top it with anything, which is a good part about it. But, you know, that's why you don't see too many Ramen, like real specialized, real ramen shops, you know. So, at home though, for yourself, you know, you could take, you know, I'll actually go and buy, you know, pork stock or you know bones and
1: gotcha, and you just it, kind of yeah. spruce it up, yeah, make you it use up, like, and, you know, handen or, handen and or whatever, yep. Yep. yeah, and however way
2: I wanna, I want it to taste, and you know, so
1: so at home you'll cheat a little bit, oh yeah, kind of just oh, spruce sure. it,
2: yeah. uh, but you know, I I start with actually, you know, um, taking. What uh sesame oil, mm-hmm. ginger and uh, you know, scallions and then, you know, actually putting them on heat, low heat till, you know, it becomes fragrant. That's where I start and then then I'll put the stock in, you know. So, you know, it takes a little time and my kitchen becomes a mess, but it's it's well worth it. It's my comfort food. Yeah. So, you know, it's yeah.
1: and are you making the ramen noodles or are you buying like this like the
2: actually I bought a noodle yeah. maker but no, I, I'm,
1: I'm buying it now. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, a tough, guess, that's a tough. noodle yeah, to make. Is, I, I buy this really like, Sun. Yeah. Sun's a great company. That's exactly yeah. what I was eating this morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Sun's amazing. <laughs> that's a great, I mean, I can't make a better like, yeah. no. traditional ramen yeah. noodle than Sun can. Uh-huh.
2: They are they are good at what they do, and it, they they're out of Hawaii, and I have it sent over. You know. Yeah, I, yeah, so. yeah. They're amazing noodles. Yeah,
1: now, I, I, really, I know we're, we're up here in, but um, what do you see for the future of Shiraku? So Shiraku is in West mm-hmm. Bloomfield. Um, You're seven No, seven days a week. We're seven days a week yeah, at seven Shiraku, days Shiraku days a for dinner. Yep. For dinner. Mm-hmm. Lunch is Monday through Friday? Monday through Friday, yes. Um, I highly, I can't mm-hmm. recommend enough people. Everyone go there and try everything you can. But what do you I see as the future of Shiraku? I mean, you uh, you guys. Um... So
2: for Shiraku, um, quite honestly, there is going to be, there is not going to ever be a second Shiraku. Shiraku is Shiraku because we like it the way it is right now. And it took us 25, you know, almost 25 years to build what we have. And that's the reputation that we have, and we don't, you know, we don't want to open another one. Just like, you know, James, you would know when you're, you know, opening up a new restaurant or something, you know. It's always the staff, and you have to be there. And there's not two of me. More importantly, not two of Suzuki. Not two of, you know, Bungsa. I mean, it's the whole, that is Shiraku. So once that separates, it can't, you know, maybe one will retire or whatever, and we may be able to keep it. But there will never be a second Shiraku. But... We have another one called Hanzo. So this is an izakaya and it doesn't, uh, no sushi, you know, so that everybody didn't get used to for a while. It's closed right now because of COVID. We're going to reopen in February. Um, Hanzo. Exciting.
1: I love Hanzo. That's Hanzo, yep.
2: Yeah, Hanzo, we might, you know, pop up a few of them, you know. Um, it's a lot more maintainable. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to, um, you know, systemize as a restaurant than, you know, taking down a whole fish to start of with, course. you know, so.
1: I think you kind of, I think you refer to it as a pub, right? Yes, a Japanese like pub.
2: Is that yeah, directly translated so, is a place for sake? So you got a yeah. little place and a, little,
1: <laughs> so, a lot so, of sake. Hanzo opens back mm-hmm. up in February. Yes, sir. Shiraku seven days. Yes, sir. Ken, thank you so much for spending thank some time you with Ken. Us. Thank you, very much for having me. so, so fast. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Our thanks to Ken Nagao for joining us, to you for listening, and...
1: We would like to thank LaMarca Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight.
0: Our executive producer is Joan Isabella with producer David Lyons. Editing, mixing, and mastering by Sam Bobian. Production support provided by Studios on the Pond. Original music by the Mallet Brothers. This is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station.